It's the summer before your senior year. Are you ready for your college applications? Have you even begun? Are you stressed out? Do you even have all the resources you need? If you answered yes to any of these questions, you are not alone. A recent article in the Institute for Higher Education Policy noted that access to information about the college application process is in short supply among the general population of students in the United States. At Championship Admissions, we demystify this process and lay out a tried and true method to get you into your dream school. Our three-day college admissions boot camp is led by Don Gonzalez, a 25-year veteran in secondary education, and Michael Gao, an Ivy League college student. Both of us have had great success in helping students into Tier 1 schools. During the three days, we will help you develop your college list, we will guide you in developing a clear narrative and provide you one-on-one -on -one feedback on your college essay. College admissions is more competitive than ever. Don't be left behind. Register now at championshipadmissions.com. Mention you heard about us on this podcast and receive a 10% discount. We have limited space, so to ensure your spot, act now. Welcome to another episode of the Admissions Uncovered podcast. My name's Michael. I'm an undergrad at Columbia University, and every other week I'm joined by my old teacher from high school, Don Gonzalez, to talk about college admissions, how students can get into their dream schools, how teachers and counselors can help their students, and how colleges can change the system to make it fairer and better for everyone involved. Make sure to subscribe to the podcast on iTunes if you're on Apple, or on Spotify, or whatever app you use if you're on Android, in order to make sure you get every single new episode the second it drops. With that, thanks for listening, and let's get on with the show. All right, so today we are going to be talking about how to make your college lists, how to pick schools, how to narrow down schools. And so how we're going to do this is we're going to talk through some of the language and terminology that a lot of people use for their college list, reaches, targets, safeties. We're going to especially talk about the word dream school and, you know, at least why I don't think that's particularly great language to be using to describe a college. And then after that, we'll talk about how to pick schools, what things to consider, what things to research, and, and how to actually do the research versus just kind of picking whatever colleges that your friend from Reddit told you about or, or whatever. So yeah, so the first thing, the terminology behind schools. Gonzalez, do you want to tell us what reach, target, and safety mean? Sure. So I guess we'll start with the top. With the REACH school is a school, the way I tell my students is that it's a school that your test scores, your GPA, and all the other things that you have are a pretty decent fit. The school is normally a very competitive school and everything's going to have to happen just right for you to be able to get in. It's a REACH school because you don't have necessarily control over the outcome of it. There are a lot of other additional factors that go into play that you don't have any control over, even with a good SAT score or good GPA and all the extracurricular activities. But you have a good portfolio of stuff that makes you attractive to those schools, and traditionally somebody like you would get into a school like that and has a chance. And that's a key word there, has a chance. You know, like you have a kid that comes up to me and I have an 85 GPA, and they don't do any extracurricular activities, and they say they want to go to Harvard, I'm going to tell them point blank, that's not a REACH school, that's a fantasy school, and it's not going to happen. Make sure to remind me to circle back to this because I do want to have a discussion with teachers in mind about having these conversations with their students because one of the things that I tell my kids 
Like a student like this, if I said, hey, Harvard's not going to be a reach school for you. It's a fantasy school. That seems very harsh. But I also follow that up by saying that no doesn't mean never. If Harvard is part of something that is part of your lifetime goal, then, you know, the reality of it is that you're probably not going to get in as an undergraduate with what you have right now as a high school senior. But you could transfer in or you could go to grad school, that sort of thing. So we can circle back to that. All right. So that's a reach school. A target school is a school that you have done some research on. You've seen what their admission rates are. You know what their average SAT score is, particularly for like the quartile that you're in and your GPA and your rank and all that is. And you've got a really strong chance of getting in. I would say greater than 50% chance probably even closer to 70% chance of getting into that school based on their admission rates. And then the last one is the safety school. And that's a school that you absolutely know that you're going to get into. And I really do mean that. A safety school is a school that you've looked at their numbers. Like in Texas, we have the top 10 rule. And then for the two bigger state schools like UT and Texas A&M, I think it's 7%. And if you know that you fit into that category, then you absolutely know that that's your safety school. That's a true safety school. And if it's a school where you're still not entirely positive that you're going to get in, then it's probably more of a target school than it is a safety school. I think one thing that people might notice is how precise the language we're using here is. It's all about are your SAT scores above their average, at their average, below their average? What are their admissions rate? If it's single digit, then it's automatically a reach school regardless of how amazing you are, right? And people are like, oh, but what about extracurriculars and all these other things that aren't numbers-based? totally, totally matter, right? I think every other moment we talk about college admissions, it's focused on those sorts of things because those ultimately are more important a lot of the times, particularly for the big name single digit schools. But I think the reason why we want to be so precise with focusing on scores is because this is kind of the first chance you get to make sure you have a diversified list right? To make sure that eventually when you get your decisions back, you have schools that A, you're going to get into and B, you're eventually going to like going to. Like I hear a lot of people saying that, oh, I have a 1600 and I think I'm really smart and I do all these things. Harvard's no big deal. I've had that people say that to me, which is kind of crazy. And I think like the reason why we want to be so precise about some of these things is to clarify that no, like some of the, you, you got to be really precise with these categories. Otherwise you'll let yourself think that a school that is a reach school is is not or a school that is, you know, actually a target school is actually something really hard to get into. So that's why we're being so precise about it. Right. And if I can piggyback on that, I think that's why it's important to have somebody like, you know, in my case, as a teacher at your school or somebody like Michael, who does this and advising students to help you with this, yeah. because it's somebody that can look at it objectively. I think the two examples you gave are perfect because I think that students have a tendency to either overvalue themselves or undervalue themselves. Yeah. <laughs> and I've seen it before. You know, I've seen kids that come in and they've got really good SAT scores and good grades and their list consists of nothing but, you know, tier one Ivy type schools and there are no target schools on the list. You know, they might have a safety school. But everything else is a reach school and they don't understand, you know, like at our school, I use you as the example, you know, not to pull the scab off of the wound. <laughs> you having on paper a near perfect application for some place like Harvard, you know, well, you had a near perfect SAT score. You had a perfect ACT score. You're a nationally ranked debater. You know, I can say these things about you, you know, you're a nationally ranked debater. You did all these other things that you did. You had a really good package and yet you still didn't get into Harvard. And I tell that story to them. I was like, you know, that doesn't mean that Michael wasn't a good student. It just means that for that particular year, he didn't fit their particular needs. Yeah. And it's not because 
There's not anything else that you could have done. Even if he had made a perfect score on the SAT, I don't think that would have made a difference. No, no, I definitely don't think so. And what that goes to is that there are those things that you don't have control over. And because of those very small admission rates, and because of those small admission rates, that maybe that year they took too many kids from Dallas, you know, from the Dallas area. We don't know, you know. So anyway, that's what makes it a Reed school is, is that sort of thing. And I think it's important for students to understand that, that whether that list of Reed schools is two, which is what I recommend, or greater, that you understand that there's a strong probability that you're not going to get into any of those schools. Yeah. And I think you have to kind of go into the process with that expectation. Otherwise, you know, 98% of the time you're going to come out of it feeling very, very disappointed about what just happened. It's, it's you know, like I don't like saying it's just a numbers game, but it, it kind of is. Like you can do all the right things and it not go your way. Then that's just how it works. Is it bad? Maybe. Are there things we can do to change it? Probably. But, you know, you're coming into it as it is. So, so just be realistic about it. And I think what that gets to is, A, that's why we want to stress the diversity of the list. But B, that means that when you think about your reach schools, I think it's good not to fixate on one of them and treat that as a dream school. So my take on this is that there's a lot of people who say that like, oh, since like five years old, I've been dreaming about going to Harvard. This happens a lot in Asian households in my experience, but like I got a Harvard sweatshirt at five years old and, uh, you know, we travel to Boston every other year and like I know friends at Harvard, I'm going to go to Harvard or insert other school here. And because of that fixation, they get so attracted to it that if they don't get in, the student kind of like shatters. And knowing that it is so likely that if you apply to some of these schools, you're probably going to get rejected. I think that fixation is not healthy. And it's also not logical because if you don't get into, let's keep using Harvard, if you don't get into Harvard, you presumably still apply to other similar schools, you know, Columbia, Amherst, name other top tier single digit admissions rate schools. And just because you didn't get into Harvard doesn't mean you're going to get into other places. But you need to keep an open mind because the one school you really, really want to go to might not get into, but there's so many other options, including other really great, really selective options if you have created a diversified list rather than just putting all your eggs in your quote unquote dream school. If you can contextualize what you mean by diversity of choices or diversity of schools, I'm not sure that we clearly defined that at the top of the show. So I think in this context, when I mean diversity of schools, I just mean having your reaches, targets, and safety. So having easier schools to get into, right? Because if you, f- I think for people who fixate and have a dream school, they are, I don't want to say like psychologically unable to, but it feels like the language of dream makes someone think that if they apply to that school, they're going to get in, it's going to be all okay. And they don't think about the possibility of not getting into that school. And I think that's my point here is like, if you want to use the language of dream, fine, but know that that dream (laughs) sounds so awful, but like probably is not going to happen. Well, let me say something about the You and I talked about this before we went on air, and that is that I used to use that as a terminology. I used to say, I think I used dream. Can't remember what I used to use for target. I I didn't use target. I can't remember what term I used for it. And then I used to use backup schools. And as we were saying before we went on air is that I decided to actually just kind of use your, your verbiage because I think it's more precise. And the reason I don't like using dream school is I think it does two things. The first thing it does is that Like you said, there's just this, like, if you fixate on that school and it doesn't happen, and then it's like your life is shattered because your dream hasn't come true. You're a puddle of tears. Yeah. But the other side of that, too, is is that 
I like having access to the word dream or fantasy to distinguish it from reach because reach is more of a possibility, whereas dream is kind of like this fluffy, to borrow one of your terms that you like to use on the podcast all the time, hippy dippy. <laughs> I haven't said that word in a while. I'm glad we're bringing that back in. <laughs> I know you haven't. So anyway, so the other term that I used to use was backup school instead of safety school. And I think that backup has a negative connotation, like you're settling for something. And I think safety is more precise in the fact that it suggests that it's a safe school that you know you're going to be admitted to, and it's not necessarily a settling school. And I want to say one last thing about all of this, and so we don't forget, Regardless of where you have the school tiered as a read school, a target school, or as a safety school, whatever school you have on your list, you need to be willing to go to that school. Yeah. You know, I think that sometimes students will sit down and make these lists, and it's just like an academic exercise of, all right, I got to make out this list. No, it should be a thought out list that if you wind up being somebody like me who did go to his safety school, you have to be okay with that. And it's okay for you to still be disappointed that for whatever reason you went to your safety school, that's fine. Nevertheless, it's a school that you're willing to go to. Otherwise, it shouldn't be on your list. And I think that's really important no matter where things are on the list. If that school is on your list, it needs to be a school that you are absolutely willing to go to. If things fall into place, you know, whether it's financial aid or whatever, whatever metrics you're using to make your determination, you have to be willing to go there. Yeah. And I think that's a really important thing to keep in mind, especially I just like was one of those students who really focused on the Ivy League and I work with a lot of students in that mindset. So what happens to them is that they don't really put an effort putting in the research towards other safety and target schools, right? They just put on their state school and like, oh yeah, 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 if I go in there, it'll be okay. Without actually considering that that is going to be a very high possibility, if not the possibility that I'm gonna predict, right? Because of how low admissions rates are. And so I think what that means is that as you make your list, really make sure that your safety is actually where you wanna go, right? Don't just say like, oh, I'll just go to like whatever is nearby. So I think that also goes to your notion of diversity of choices, Yeah. of filling out that target list too. So I'll just share, when I work with my seniors, and I really have them do this when they're juniors, by the time they leave for the summer, they have to have this list done. I like to operate with the number 10. 10 schools to me is a workable number, and we can discuss further about why I think that, because I think you and I may disagree on that a little. But I normally tell my students to pick two or three REACH schools, and then somewhere in the neighborhood of five to six target schools, and one or two safety schools, depending on where they are. You know, if they're top 7%, then they can just pick one, you know, if they know that they're willing to go to one of the big state schools as a safety school. Well, that's a particular rule with Texas because of our top seven, top 10%. Yes. And so I think that, you know, I, obviously I don't know how other states work and I don't know what other a student from another state might use as their safety school. I'm assuming that a lot of people use a state school as their safety school. And I don't know what other states do in terms of like automatic admission and things like that. Do you have an idea about that? I mean, every, every state has their own rule. Most states are off of test scores. One thing that I was thinking about is like, you know, like if you really kind of going back to the notion that every school on your list needs to be a school you want to go to, if you're dead set on going out of state. So for example, if I lived in North Dakota, I think I would probably want to go out of state, right? So your safety shouldn't be the state school in North Dakota. Now you've offended all the people in North Dakota. All our listeners in North Dakota, all our like two listeners in North Dakota. Wow, now you've <laughs> double insulted them. Uh, but yeah, the point is just don't just choose the thing that you know, right? Really put in the work. 
But I think what you were saying earlier, like even with the type of student that you tend to work with, I don't know that you would want to have a student that has like a list that consists of four or five Ivy League schools and just a safety school and that's it. Yeah. And the reason I say that is, is that then you have limited yourself to, it's almost an all or none sort of scenarios. Like I'm either going to go to one of these Ivies or I'm just going to go to the state school. And not that there's anything wrong with the state school, but there are a wealth of other schools in between that could be your target schools where you could still get a great education. And, you know, if you're that student that's also looking for that name recognition that's associated with the school, you still get that too. And I think it also tends to be the case that that mid-tier of school is the tier that will give merit-based scholarship, right? The Ivy League will only give need-based aid. State schools will give both, but maybe you don't want to go to, you know, your local university, and that's fine, even if they give you a lot of aid. Your mid-tier private schools are going to be the one who give merit-based aid and also maybe have, like, the brand or whatever that that you're looking for. So don't sleep on those mid-tier schools. Yeah, because I think you're right that we have... I applied to 21 schools, right? And I always say that most students should probably not do that, but I'll give myself the best defense possible since who else will, I guess. (laughs) I applied to that many schools because I was in the situation where I was valedictorian, which meant that I had auto admission to UT, which is a really good state school. It's not just like any state school. It's not like, oh, it's just the school I know. UT is great. And I got into McCombs, which is a like a great business school, has great placement rates and consulting firms in the Midwest if that was what I wanted to do, right? So like perfect safety school. If I went there, I'd be disappointed, absolutely. But eventually I would be fine, right? It had what I wanted to. So that was what gave me the ability to really put in a lot of application towards a lot of reach schools. And the reason you were able to do that is because you knew that you would be fine going to your safety school. Yeah. And a really unique situation too, because I was a hundred percent sure I'd get into my safety. Right. And that's what gave you the freedom to stretch yourself out. But then also your safety school was a very good school still, is what you're saying. Exactly. My floor was pretty high. Yeah, but I think that's a, a very good distinction to make. And so that gave you the freedom to apply to like 20, 20, would you say 21? 21, yeah. Actually, it might be 22 because UTD. Anyways, low 20s. And so UTD was a school that you had to apply to for your mom, right? Yeah. <laughs> so I normally tell my students 10, 10 schools. And as we were saying before we went on air, the reason for that is is that most students don't fit into your category. They're not going to have that sort of freedom. And I think beyond being valedictorian, you had that freedom based on the fact that your test scores were so good. And that's fair. You had everything else that went with it that made you comfortable with that. Because like, you know, you could be valedictorian and still not be in that position. Especially for Macombs, for UT, those engineering, those big name schools. Yes, exactly. I'm glad you said that because that's the other component. You didn't just get auto accepted to UT. You were also going to be admitted into the business school, which is a big deal. Yeah. The two things that I talk about is that one, you have a finite number of fee waivers, correct? I don't think so, actually. Have they changed that? It used to be that you could only use fee waivers on applications for a certain number of schools. Has that changed? Well, so for the Common App, they do have a 20 school maximum. But if you have separate applications, you can use as many. That 20 limit is only for the Common App, right? So my Apply Texas was still okay. All right. So scratch that. I learned something on the podcast myself today. <laughs> 
But the other thing is you have a finite amount of time to work on these applications. And so if you start applying to all these schools that have supplementals or whatever, then you've got to factor that into it because then you have a quality versus quantity sort of thing on how you're going to do with that. So for the most part, I know that with the sort of students that I have, you know, I've been teaching for 22 years. In my 22 years, I've only had one other Michael Gao. And so the odds of somebody fitting your category are slim. So it's not likely they're going to fall into that special situation. And they're also very busy trying to do all the other things to make their portfolio look good, like whether it's debate or mock trial or whatever the thing is. Where does the time come into? So absolutely. And so what I advise is if there is someone who maybe isn't in my situation with such a great safety in, in their pocket, what I tell them is make this core list of 10 schools, get those applications done. And if it's December 20th and there's that lull before the Christmas holiday really, really starts and family comes in or whatever, and you want to throw in a couple of more long shot applications to more reaches, go for it. But do that with the kind of knowledge, comfort, and safety that comes with having applications done for the core set of schools. So like focus on that core set of schools and then do your long shots. So the other reason why I say 10 is I think here's where you and I disagree. If you have more than 10 schools, I'm not sure that you have really done all the work that you need to to narrow down your choices and why you want to go to schools. You apply to that many schools. I don't know. I can think of unique situations because I just had a student who was, she was ranked number four. She had all the other stuff, but her SAT score was below average. So she, like you, she applied to 20-something schools. She needed to do that. And she realized she was playing a game. Uh, she was playing the numbers game. And she wound up getting into, she didn't get into her reach school, but she got into one of the higher-end target schools that she was applying to. Okay. In that case, it was a good strategy for her because she knew that she needed to increase the number of schools that were in her target range because that just below average SAT score was hurting her. She had everything else and it played out for her. She wound up getting accepted to four or five schools that were at or near the same area. And then at the very last minute, she got into the schools, one of the schools that she uh, wanted to go to school. So anyway, I don't know. I just think that 21 to me seems to be a lot unless there's special circumstances like yours and hers. I think that part of the process is too is you and we I guess we'll talk about this in just a little bit. You got to figure out why the school's on your list. And it can't just be because they're a name. It's you've got to have reason why you want to go to that school. And you have to be able to start making distinctions between the schools. You actually have to start tiering them. I also don't really believe like I think you should have a 1 through 10, you know? that one really means one. Like at the end of the day, if you have two reach schools, which is the one you really want to get into if you get into both and why? And the same thing with the target schools. If you get into, let's say, three of your five target schools, how are you going to make your decision? All things being equal, if you get, so you get the same financial aid package, how are you going to make that decision? You need to know that up front. What are the things that are going to help you make your decision? And I think this is really key because I think a lot of people think, oh, I'll just think about each school and what they offer if I get accepted in the month of April or whatever. And as someone who went through that, that is a crazy whirlwind of a month, right? You're like, you have the adrenaline. You're like, oh my God, I got into these great schools. Oh, amazing, amazing, amazing. And then maybe you go visit them or maybe they fly you out and you're like talking to alumni and you're talking to students to make it. It's just a lot in that month. And it's hard to make a coherent decision just in that month if you hadn't 
done some pre-research, pre-narrowing down as you were doing this, the college list process kind of earlier on. So yeah, I mean, let's get into this about how students should pick schools, what they should think about, how they should make their top 10 list. I know a lot of my students obviously just like go down the US News and World Report list. So I have to like really draw them out into thinking a little bit more critically about what they actually want in a school. But Gonzalez, like what do you tell your students to be researching for? Yeah, before we do that, I just wanted to say something about, yeah, I just lost my thought. Boom, forget it. It'll come back to me like 20 minutes later or when we sign off. <laughs> it had something to do with making the distinction. Oh, it's about making the decision. Having those sorts of whatever measure you're using to determine where you want to go to school, you should do some of that work before you get into late April because, you know, like under normal circumstances in a non-COVID year, you're getting ready for AP exams. That's true. And then when you get those acceptance letters, there's, especially for the tier one schools, you don't have a lot of time to make that decision either. There's a quick turnaround where they're like, you got to make a decision in like the next two weeks and you got deposits due and all, you know, all that stuff. And it's not nearly as long amount of time as you think it is. And so, because my experience is, is that when students get in that situation, when they have two or three really good choices, they want somebody else to make the decision for them. And I won't do that. When my students come to me, it's like, well, I've got these three offers and the financial aid packages are all the same, which one should I go to? And I was like, I can't make that decision for you. You have to make that decision. And when I'm talking to my students, it was like, this is the beginning of you becoming an adult because you've got to make this decision. I can't do it for you. So talking about going through the criteria and developing the research, I actually make this an assignment for my students. And I've gotten more precise as been doing this. And this year in particular, I had them do it, this on a Google spreadsheet. So again, using my list of 10, and that's not, that's not like the 10 commandments, you know, the list can grow to 12 and some students only submit seven. And it's more about them demonstrating that they follow the instructions that I give them rather than the hard number. And so what I tell them to do, whether it's the read school or the target school, the safety school, is that they've got to go online and to use an old debate term, they've got to warrant the reason why that they have chosen that school as whatever category it fits into. And then they also have to indicate their evidence to support that. I'll tell them if you pick XYZ school as a target school, you've got to indicate, for example, that their SAT score falls into the average SAT score for somebody that's in their quartile, you know, acceptance rates. And these are things that are easily available online. Then they'll cite whatever source they use for that. So I'll know that it's a, a good source. And I generally will give them the sources that they can go look this stuff up on. And what other reasons, you know, that they think they fit into those categories. And so like if a kid says, well, my safety school, and, I, you know, this stuff happens. You know, like I have a kid that said, well, my safety school is UT because they think because UT is a public school that they're going to get in. And I was like, well, you're not top 7%. That's not a safety school. And so, and then, and that's where it comes in. So even, you know, even when they do the research, they sometimes, they gloss this over, or they overvalue themselves. And that's where somebody like me or you comes in to come like, well, that's not if you want to go to that school, that should be a target school. It shouldn't be a safety school. And then sometimes the other thing happens is a lot of their target schools should be safety schools. It's like, you know, you need to get rid of these and figure out which one you want to be your safety. And you need to add some more target schools. And then sometimes I'll even see where they've picked a reach school. And it's like, you know, based on your test scores, that's not a reach school. That's more of a target school, you know. And I know in your case, you, you work with a lot of kids that are just Ivy. I, I get it across the spectrum. I get the kids that are looking at Ivies all the way to the kids that are hoping to get in 
to the local state school and everything in between. So to boil it down is that, so a couple of things. So the first thing is taking a look to see what category it's going to fit into based on your test scores and your rank or your GPA and make sure that aligns with what the data is out there. And then the other thing you do is you start, as you're starting to, to develop your list is look at different things. Do you want to go to a big school or do you want to go to a little school? You know, and like for students that go to my school, our school size is 500. You know, their largest class is going to be 30 to 35 students in it. You, you walk into one of these big state schools and you walk in an auditorium of 500 people, that can be overwhelming. And when you go to a big campus and you suddenly discover they don't know who you are at the financial aid office or the registrar's office, you're just a number. Do you want that? Or do you want to go to a smaller liberal arts college where people are going to know your name when you walk into the financial aid office or whatever? Those are things to consider. You know, do you want to be on the East Coast or the West Coast? Or, you know, do you want to stay close to home or do you want to go away from home? Like, it's great that you want to go to some I a league school in the, up on the East Coast, but are you okay with cold weather? One thing that I've kind of added to this is what sort of support system are you going to have if you go away? Do you have family nearby that you can lean on or, you know, can your parents or family members readily get to you where you are? Or do you have friends or any sort of connection up there uh, that can help you uh, when you go far away or might you be better off staying closer to home? And then, you know, we take a look at other things, you know, because I think that social life is an aspect that should be considered too. You know, that, that the social aspect of college, I think, is important. And, you know, are you going to a school that that is known for just being a party school and you're going to fall into that? Then maybe that's not a place you want to go. Or you have a school that's a little bit more balanced, that has a, you know, pretty strong Greek life, that sort of thing. And then, you know, there are other considerations, particularly with the sort of students that I work with, is like, do you want to go to an HBCU or do you want to go to a mainstream school? So all these different things and all of them, does the school offer what you want to study? You can have a school that's on your list, but you have an idea what you want to study already and they don't have that there. So what's going to give? Is it what you study or is it, you know, the desire to go to that school? I think there's so many things to, to think about, right? And I think I like to boil it down into into three categories with folks. So the first one is just academic. Do they have your major? If they do have your major, do they have, you know, if there's a specialty, is there a professor that's interesting? Is there Are there programs for you? Research programs, volunteer programs, whatever. The second is the social fit. So what you were talking about, Greek life, do you want it? Do you not want it? Party school, do you want it? Do you not want it? Size of school, do you want it? Do you not want it? Those types of considerations. And then the last thing is financial fits. Is it possible for you to go to that school? If you are someone who is low income or middle income, what is their financial aid? And and I, and I think you that's a real question everybody should ask themselves and not just to assume that the school won't give them any money or will give them all the money. Like financial aid is very, very tricky. And all schools are actually federally mandated to have a net price calculator on their website that gives a rough estimate of what aid they'll end up with. And I think everybody, when considering if they can afford to go to that school, should just go on that calculator and try it out. Because I think a lot of folks, especially, you know, more middle income, even upper upper income folks will, will be really surprised because, for example, like Columbia, uh, I think like over 50% of the student population gets financial aid, including families earning up to $200,000 a year, which is very well off and they still get significant financial aid. I agree. And, you know, along those lines as well, I think that one of the things that a lot of people don't you know, especially if you're somebody like me when I was a kid, I was the first person in my family to go to college. So I didn't have a clue that, oh, I've I've gotten this great financial aid package. Like in my case, I got a full scholarship to go to SMU, but that doesn't necessarily include books. And in my case, it didn't. Now we just steal PDFs from the internet. 
<laughs> We're not advocating that. No, no, of course. I, I have never done that for the record. And then there's just the cost of living. You know, you might be able to afford books and all of that, but can you afford just where you're living? Just getting back and forth. You know, I think I shared last time or two episodes ago that one of my concerns about Harvard was my parents couldn't even afford a plane ticket for me to go there, let alone them. And getting there and getting back and that sort of thing was a concern. Obviously, I could have done some better research and I would have been able to figure that out. That's another deal. But you still got to be able to figure out how, you know, day-to-day sort of living. And yeah, can you get by just living off of the college cafeteria food and whatever plan you're on? Sure. But inevitably, you're going to be in social situations where you're going to want to go out with your friends and go to, you know, a local cafe, coffee shop, or as you get older, (laughs) uh, a pub. And that costs money. And your meal plan doesn't pay for that or whatever little meal cards they have now. Like when I went to school, we had the Pony Express card. And those could be used actually at local, you know, like the Taco Bell or whatever nearby. You could use that there. Surely not a bar nearby, right? No. Okay. (laughs) No, definitely not. But, and that's my point, that by and large, you're not going to be able to use your meal plan to buy food off campus or go get a cup of coffee or... Something stronger. I mean, I mean, let's be real about it. That's part of the college life. And that costs money. And it does cost money. Yeah, and I think also keep in mind all the merit-based scholarships and small scholarships you can get. We talked about that a little bit a couple of times ago, but just like keep in mind financial fit. Don't let that over-determine. Don't let any assumptions you have determine how you think about that, but do keep it in mind. So the last thing that I was thinking about is... I guess like when I talk to students about this and I, you know, lay out all these factors and like, do you want a big school, a small school? Do you want to live in a city, a rural area? All these different factors. Um, And by the way, any college search tool you'll use will have these factors as filters. I like the College Board one, College Board Big Future Search. It's a whole bunch of filters for you to just like decide upon. But the question I always get is like, uh, I don't know, big school, small school? I guess either one is is fine with me. And, And, you know, there's like specific things I can say about each one, right? So big school, you're not small school, you know everybody. But sometimes it is a little bit difficult, at least for me when I help students, when they don't have any preferences. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Well, that's disturbing to me if they don't have any preferences. To me, that's an indication that they really haven't thought it through. Because traditionally, when I'm working with my students, I've tried to limit the number of students that I work with. I don't work with all the seniors. You know, when I was the debate coach, I worked with my debaters. And now as the mock trial coach, I'll work with them. And so I'm in a position where I get to work with, I get to work with the kids I want to work with. So I'll work with like my 10 or 15 mock trial kids. And then I'll go find seniors. I'll be honest. I go through the list of SAT scores and see the kids that have the higher ones. And I'll ask them who's helping you. If they don't have anybody helping them, I was like, well, I'm helping you. And then I work with them. But then I think it's my job. If they've either picked me or if I picked them as their college advisor, then part of my responsibility is to ask those digging questions. And it's not enough to ask that first question. I'm sure you do this already yourself, but I think that's why it's important to have somebody else walking with you through this process. And parents aren't always a good option for this. Because they're biased. I have a lot of parents who are like, stay close to home. What are you doing leaving the state? Exactly, exactly. So you want somebody who's objective that doesn't have skin in the game. Ask those probing questions. So the first question and then the follow-up question and maybe even the follow-up to the follow-up question so that you can start getting an understanding of why these schools are on the list. And that takes an investment in time. And so 
I don't just sit down one time with my students when I do this. I do it. We have a number of different meetings and it starts with the list and it's a paper list. And like I said, I have them share it through the Google Drive and then I go through it. And then initially what I'll do before we have a sit down and then I'll have them schedule a 30 to 45 minute, maybe even an hour appointment with me. Before we even get there, I'll just give them comments back on the list that they've made of like, why are you picking this? This doesn't seem to fit the other schools. Why is this on the list? And ask questions. One of the things that we didn't talk about is that sometimes there are a lot of different, there's not a right or wrong reason for you to pick a school. You have your own personal reasons. Like some students might want to go to an all-male school, and there are still some of those out there, like Morehouse. Is that? Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. Let's look at that. Both of us learned something today. I've also had nobody say they want to go to an all-male school. (laughs) Well, but they're all female schools, and those have benefits and (laughs) disadvantages and they might be a good fit for some people and not a good fit for others and then you have some schools that some students that are interested in going to a faith-based university and you know like I have a student right now that I'm working with she's very Catholic and she wants to go to Catholic University I'm like well you know not all Catholic universities are created equally you know like I went to Southern Methodist University it's not it's a Methodist school in name (laughs) only and what I mean by that it doesn't have a Methodist culture and in the same way and I can say this as a Catholic there are some Catholic schools that have a Catholic culture, like the Franciscan University up in Steubenville, Ohio, or Ave Maria down in in Florida. And then there are other schools that are less about their Catholicity, like Notre Dame. And so kids have to know that. You know, that's a unique situation, but but there are still faith-based schools like that. I know like there's some Lutheran schools that fit in that mode, and then there's some Baptist schools that fit in that mode where part of the religious nature of the school is part of the culture of the campus. And some people want that. Again, that's okay but you need to know what you're getting into again the point i'm trying to make is that there are a variety of reasons that you can select a school you just have to do the legwork to figure out you know what are the things that i want to see in a school or find in a school and does this school fit those needs i i definitely agree just like asking you the asking yourself or having someone else like me gonzalez a teacher or whatever ask you those probing questions to get at your preferences One strategy I use, or I started to use this year, and I think can be replicated by teachers as a classroom assignment, is this kind of like very open-ended, imaginative exercise where you describe your dream school, take it away from reality, just like spend 20 minutes or whatever writing up what is your dream school, like what are, what's great about it, what does it have, what do you do on the weekends, just like an imaginative exercise where you just make up a fantasy school because that tells you what you want. And then from there, you just find schools that are like it. So I found that it's actually pretty useful for some people. Now, obviously some people just like don't buy into the exercise and are just like, uh, you know, it's nice and beautiful campus. But I think, you know, for students who are more creative, letting them have that open-ended realm to just like imagine can be useful for them to get their preferences down on. I don't know, any other strategies? you'd tell people to use to help? Well, I would say take advantage of your college visits. I think that's important. I don't know how it is everywhere. I know at least in our school district, they're allowed one junior visit that's an excused absence and two senior visits. But there are ways to work around this. I know Michael did this at least one year. Is (laughs) He did it more than once. (laughs) I did it. (laughs) Worked. Yeah, a couple more times than was allowed. Where you're, in essence, getting your own high school to pay for your college visits. But if you're involved in something like you're in the national debate circuit or the national mock trial circuit or some other extracurricular activity, you can 
build in visits and you know i try to do this just as a teacher like when we used when i was a debate coach and we would go to chicago to the glenbrooks tournament we'd go visit northwestern and University of Chicago and some of the other schools in the area if we had time and I always try to build in some extra time to do that. I took students to DC. We'd go visit Georgetown and some of the other schools there. There are ways for you to do this beyond just the the regular visits and then just be aware that the various universities have fly-in programs and those I guess we have probably passed all the deadlines for that. I think normally they're the first week of June. I think Swarthmore more closes the end of June. Barnard is an all-woman school attached to Columbia that's due early July, I think. But yeah, a lot of them, a lot of them, are, like Dartmouth was due a while ago. Yeah, I know that Wellesley's is coming up because I got an email about that. And I forward that to some of my students, but don't always count on your count. You know, normally these go to your counselor, but some of the stuff you can find on the website and take advantage of those opportunities. I know that some families will schedule their vacation around the idea that they're going to use that as a college kind of circuit tour for their kids that's kind of cool you know i've seen people do that so i mean there are ways that you can be creative and obviously in the world that we live in now there are virtual tours but i think there's something to be said about walking the campus especially the schools that you know like if it's one of the reach schools that is the school you really want to go to you better figure out a way to visit that school if you can or have a really good idea because i'll tell you for example I had a kid that went to Northwestern. He wound up going there as a result of our visit. We went to the Glenbrooks Debate Tournament that's outside of Chicago, and we visited Northwestern as part of that trip. And it was really <laughs> cold that day. And in Chicago, when the wind blows oh, off the, yeah. the, the lake, Lake Michigan, it gets really cold on campus. And we were fortunate that we'd experienced that. And so he knew what he was getting into. You know, there's some campuses that are prettier than others, and that might be your thing. Some of them are more historic. There's some other things to consider, too. You know, like if you have issues with being able to get around, some of the older schools have been grandfathered in and don't aren't all yeah. handicap accessible. And so that factors in sometimes about the type of classes. So these are just little things that you need to be aware of, you know, like it rains in the springtime, like our, you know. And just because it rain, I mean, just like where it is, location, does it get cold? Do you like living in the cold? But I mean, I mean this, like, I didn't know this. I, and I didn't take it into consideration. Like, when I went to SMU, I lived in the dorms the first two years. And SMU, they had their dorms situated such that the female dorms are closest to the to the campus and the guys were further away and so if it was a day where it was raining you had to walk in the rain and they don't cancel classes because it's raining you know just little things like y'all had separated dorms by gender when i went to school there they had one co-ed dorm and it was co-ed by floor okay i'm gonna i know i know i i'm sure everything is blended now y'all probably you know so so progressive at columbia y'all probably share bathrooms too oh Gonzalez, we only sometimes do that. Anyway, yeah, but I'm I'm a big proponent of visiting the campus. The other thing about it is too is that you might you're gonna have two effects. One, it's like oh you didn't like it, or you may not like the city, and that matters, right? Because you're gonna be living there for four years too. Yeah, it, you might be all excited about getting into UPenn. And then realize Philadelphia and the, is. Yeah, I liked Philadelphia, but I have people that hate it part of that's going to be what you're used to and if you're not used to ever having to take uh, public transit 
and you go to a city you come that, to New York, that's the only way you can get around. You're not going to like it. Exactly. So you just got to be able to adjust. So again, there there are just a number of different things that you should that you can take into consideration, and some of it, some of these are personal. All right. Absolutely. So think about what you want and find some schools that have what you want. I think uh, if you go to the show notes down below or to our website, I'll post the link to the College Board Big Future search that I use to um, filter schools that have some of the things that you can think more about. And we'll post some of the links to the fly-in programs we mentioned, Wellesley, Swarthmore is still open. I'll find the Barnard one and post that too. But yeah, so this was our episode on the college list. Thank y'all so much for listening and uh, we'll see you next time. Thanks again for watching this week's episode of the Admissions Uncovered podcast. Look, I know college admissions is super confusing and that's one of the reasons that Gonzalez and I are doing this podcast, to give information to the people who need it the most. But the thing is, you might have more questions, and some of those questions might be personal to your situation and what you want. Well, that's why I'm offering a special opportunity for listeners of the podcast to work with me individually through my college admissions counseling and test prep company, Gao Admissions. I've seen some great results over the years. On average, SAT scores go up by 100 to 150 points. Students I have counseled have gotten into schools like Dartmouth, the University of Pennsylvania, gotten full rides from schools like the University of Texas and other schools like that. And so I'm here to help if you have individual questions. So if you're ready to get started on your college journey, go to gowadmissions.com, scroll to the bottom and fill out that contact me form and I'll be in touch. I'm doing this new podcast thing where I like talk right into the mic and like as close as I can without huge waveforms. So let's let's see if it changes things. Well, if you're going to move up to that, then I need to pull out my mic next time and get my... What do you call that thing that goes in front of the screen? The, oh, the pop filter? Supposed to, yeah, the pop yeah. filter. I don't have a pop filter. Get one. It's like $3 on Amazon. And you definitely need one because I bet you'd pop your I really do. No, it's like my thing. You know, like button. Button. Apparently I say weirdly, but I just say... You say all your T's little. weirdly. And that's why you would never make it as a Chinese spy. <laughs> Excuse me. Excuse me. You have not seen the work I've done so far for my comrades, okay? <laughs> All right.